So last week we uh, spent a little time giving you a state of the church address, right? We just kind of talked to you where about where we are as a church. And one of the things I said to you is that um, in 2023, we really feel like the Lord is leading us to make sure that families are strong. And um, so that's going to be our focus this year, but that does not mean we're going to be teaching on family every week. Not every message is going to be geared toward the family, because here's what we know is that healthy individuals make healthy families. So um, all I want you to do is look through the lens of as an individual, I need to be healthy so that as I engage with my family or in the future, if God would give you a family, there's the potential for health there because I am healthy. Now, what do I mean by healthy? You know, um, obviously it doesn't mean in shape. Come on now. I mean, that was, it's okay. You can laugh. What I mean by healthy is I'm talking about being spiritually healthy first spiritually mature believers, second of all, emotionally healthy. Remember I said last week that what shapes us is traumas, dramas, daddies, and mamas. Some of you have been like, you've been through the trauma and the drama. I mean, it's just been your whole life. And, and some of us need some healing from trauma, right? And so, um, so this is about emotional health, spiritual health, all of it. So that's what we're going to aim aiming for this, this year. So this morning we're actually starting a new series, but I want you to look at through it, the lens, through the lens of, I need to make sure that I am healthy so that as I engage with my family, I can bring health and not trauma or drama to my families. Right. And so, um, we're going to be starting a new series and, um, we're going to be in, in the book of Luke, the 15th chapter. So if you want to grab your Bibles, you can turn there and I'll, I'll tell you what this, um, what this series is about. Um, in Luke chapter 15, we find hands down the favorite, my favorite parable that Jesus ever taught. It's the parable of what we call the prodigal son. Love this parable. In fact, um, you know, we just announced that our equip classes are coming up. I actually teach an equip class, not this one, but there's one further in, on, down the year where I teach a class called the, the Father's Heart. And in that, in that equip class, we really dissect the parable of the prodigal son. So uh, if you're interested in that, make sure you watch for that equip class coming up and get your name on the list. But I love this parable of the prodigal son. And, um, and here's why. In the parable of the prodigal son, we really see it's, it's a great example of the two roles that you and I play in our relationship with God. There's two roles. As a believer, there's two roles that I feel in my relationship with God. First is the role of the servant, and second, the role of the son's. So I am actually, I've entitled this series we're beginning today. It's a series we're calling Servants and Sons. And we're going to be dissecting those two roles and look at what they mean in our lives. And what we're trying to do is make sure that we have a good, solid Christian foundation under us so that we can build our own personal health so that it can eventually affect our families. If you are fired up about that, give me a big amen. So that's where we're heading. Now, um, in the way of a kind of an intro to this series, I, I want to look at this story in, in Luke 15 really quick and, and kind of identify those two roles I mentioned to you. So 
Remember, in the story of the prodigal son, what we have is there was a wealthy father and one of his sons came to him and he said, give me my inheritance. And, and the father gave it to him. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. But the father gave it to him and the son took his inheritance and he ran off and he blew it all with riotous living. And he ended up in a very bad situation. And so in his bad situation, he makes the right decision. And that's, I'm going to turn home and get to my father. Listen, church, I don't know if you ever find yourself in a bad situation. You know where you need to be with your father. The father is always the safe place. And so he turns and he goes back to the father. And, and, uh, and here's when we pick up our reading here, here's what he's doing. Here's his response as he's turning to go back home. Verse 17 of Luke 15 says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father, say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I said that the first role that we play in our relationship with God is that of a servant. And what we have here is this prodigal son finds himself in a bad situation and his response is correct. He says, I'm going to go home. That's, that's the best decision. But as he goes home, he goes home in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of repentance. And he says to the father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. Now I, I want to say to you, I want to emphasize to you that that is the correct response. You know, a lot of times I, I, in counseling with people and dealing with people, I do this in, in premarital counseling a lot. You know, couples, um, it's kind of like they've been young and single and they've sowed their wild oats. And, and as they go to get married, they're like, yeah, I guess we better go to church. And especially after they have kids, like, ah, you know, we need to raise the kids in church. And so we kind of move back toward church and by proxy, I guess they're moving back toward God. And they kind of approach it like that where, you know what, I'm a good citizen and I'm an American and Americans go to church. So I guess I'll just add this Christianity thing to my life and um, God's going to be glad to have me. That's kind of the approach I hear a lot. And I want you to know that is the absolute wrong way to approach God. When you and I go to him, here's what we say, especially this, this is how you get born again. Nobody gets born again, going to God and go, congratulations, I decided to walk with you. That's not how we get born again. We get born again when we recognize that we are in deep trouble. And Ephesians tells us that there, we don't come to God with anything to brag about. Our salvation is not by works. It's by his grace and his grace alone. And so he came in a spirit of repentance, and that's how you and I need to approach the Lord. There needs to be a constant residual attitude in us that I'm just glad to be in the house. I'm just glad I was let in. So he actually approaches his father with the right heart, and that's the servant role. And you and I, throughout the entirety of our days, need to understand that it is a privilege, and it is by God's grace that you and I get to interact with him. He's not lucky to get us. We are lucky to get him, right? And so we approach him with that idea. And he said to him, he said, I, 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 don't, I don't need to be a son just let me be a servant. 
And man, I tell you what, I think the kingdom of God needs a whole tribe of people who will say, Lord, make me your servant. Let me serve you. You've been so good to me. How can I serve you? So that's the first role we play. But then the story changes. Pick up with me in verse 20. Here's the father's response. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, and his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father... But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Give him a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. When we come in the attitude, the heart of a servant to God, you know, we find that we serve a generous father, a ridiculously generous father who says, thank you for wanting to be my servant, but I'm going to go ahead and promote you to son. And so I'm standing here today with the heart to serve, but, but because of the generosity of God, I'm not just a servant, I'm a son. And so, but, but the trick is learning how to deal with both of those roles in humility and appreciation and giving our lives to him because he's been so good to us, but also understanding what it means to live in the house as a son. Because you remember that the prodigal had an older brother and he knew how to be a servant. He didn't know how to be a son. And so in this series, we're going to work through both of those roles. So I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. This morning specifically, So that's kind of an overview of where we're going in this series. But this morning specifically, I want to kind of talk to you about that role of a servant and what does it look like. And uh, I've said this to you over and over again. But in my opinion, if you want to know what God wants to do in your life, in the life of any person on the planet, you can look at what God did with Israel. And when we see God's dealing with Israel, it gives us clues as to how God wants to deal with us. So let's look back in the Old Testament, and I want to show you something that God did with Israel in an interaction they had, and then we'll look at how it applies to our life today. Now, I'm going to be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm not going to read scripture from there. I'm just going to kind of give you an overview in your personal study time. You can go check me out and make sure that I'm not preaching heresy, right? So I'll tell you where I got it in 1 Samuel chapter 8. But here's what we find in this moment. At that time, the way Israel was led, they were led by judges. God had set up a government over them, and the government was judges, kind of like a prime minister type situation. And at this time, the judge ruling over Israel is a man named Samuel. And um, after uh, several things had happened, but Samuel is is kind of the, the judge in that position, the elders of Israel come to him, and they said, we've made a decision. We don't want you to be our judge anymore. They say this, this is 1 Samuel chapter 8. They said, give us a king. We want a king. And and they said, we want a king for two specific reasons. So first of all, we want a king that can judge us. And second of all, we want a king because we want to be like all the other nations. So they asked for a king. Well, of course, this grieved Samuel It grieved Samuel because God's design was that Israel would not have a earthly king. His design was that God would be their king. 
that God himself would be their king. So the fact that they are asking for a king, especially because they wanted to be like all the other nations, God, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of you judging us, you telling us what's right and wrong. I don't, I don't want you to be my king. We want to choose an earthly king and let that earthly king judge over us. So it, it, it um, sorrowed Samuel, but God said to Samuel, he said, listen, don't, don't be depressed because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And so Israel was at that moment rejecting the lordship of God and instead were asking for an earthly king. But here's this, God, you got to catch this, you ready? When that happened, God told Samuel, he said, go to the people and tell them, okay, Okay, you can have what you want. And so Samuel then has to go to the people and says, okay, God says, if you want an earthly king, get yourself an earthly king. But God told Samuel, he said, you need to warn the people how this king is, is going to rule over them. And, and he says three specific areas. This is the JEV version, the Jody's expanded version. But there's three specific areas in which the king's reign would affect them. First of all, it said that this king that you want is going to take your family. It says it's gonna, he's going to recruit your sons and your daughters to serve him. They're not going to be in serving in your house. They're going to be serving in his house. It's going to cost you your family. Second is, is your goods. It said the king's going to, he's going to take the choicest of your livestock. He's going to take your, the choicest of your land. He's going to, he, he's going to take it for his own. In fact, it was very interesting, you know, a minister, I got to squeeze this in. He said this, he said, this king is going to take 10% of your harvests. Does that ring any bells with anybody? Sounds like a tithe to me. And it's interesting because, you know, your tithes are going somewhere. My tithes are going somewhere. The question is, is it going to the right king? Ooh, I could preach on that, right? But he says to him, it's going to cost you your kids it's, and your family. It's going to cost you your goods. And thirdly, he says, it's going to end up enslaving you. So you're welcome to have this king. Instead of me being your king, you're welcome to have your own king, but it's going to cost you. And God just let it happen. And we see the story unfold. And it unfolded just like, just like God said it was going to happen. Israel saying, I want a king. So you say, well, Jody, that's an interesting story, but what does it have to do with us here today? Here's the point I want to make. I'm talking about the role of a servant. See, here's what a servant understands. A servant understands that he has a master. A servant understands that he's not in control. A servant understands that you can't do things that he wants to do or the way he wants to do it. He's under authority. And I want to say to you that every person in this room, including myself, there's something we all have in common is that there is a throne in my life. There's a throne in my world. There's a throne in your world. The question is, who is sitting on that throne? Can I tell you that the throne is perfectly crafted? I was thinking about saying this in a way that's irreverent, not, not irreverent. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm good at saying things that are irreverent. I'm trying to say things that are not irreverent. But I was just picturing the seat on the throne, like perfectly contoured for God's behind. Does that sound irreverent? 
thank you. You can come back to victory next week. We'll... I'm just like, this throne is perfectly designed for God to sit on. I mean, that's just what it was created. It's cr- the throne in me was created for God to be sitting on. But you know what I know? Is that from the very creation of man, from the time that God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in that garden, it was, he created it so that he could be the king sitting in perfect relationship with his creation What was the first temptation though? The enemy came to people because it knew there was a seed of rebellion in us. And the enemy said, you know what? He doesn't have to be your king. You can be a king to yourself. And Adam and Eve evicted God off the throne and God let them do it. Isn't that crazy? He lets us do it. But who does it end up costing? It ends up costing us. Same way it did with Israel, same way it did with Adam and Eve. God's giving you and I the same option here today. This throne in my life was created for God to sit on, for God to judge by, for God to look at my life, tell me my priorities, tell me my actions, tell me I don't come up with them my own, that my judge hands these to me. That's how it was designed. But somehow the enemy has convinced us that if we put God in control, God is somehow going to take something from us. That somehow we will lose in the equation if God is sitting on our throne. Can I tell you, church, nothing is farther from the truth. We look back in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. There was nothing that Adam and Eve wanted for. There was absolute perfect peace and harmony. Things were working. There was health. It was just things were clicking. This was the way it was supposed to be. When we put God on the throne of our life, we find that life just works better. Because that's how it was meant to operate. But somehow the enemy convinces us, no, no, no. You know, we need to get God off the throne We need to get another king on the throne. And so I was thinking, well, who are some candidates for kingship in my life? Well, the most obvious one is I am. I would just make a great king over Jody. And whatever Jody wants, Jody does. The way Jody views things, that's the way it should be. And if you don't agree with it, you're broken. If Laurie doesn't agree with it, there's just, she's damaged goods. The world should operate the way Jody LaFleur wants it to operate, right? But you see, what happens is we, we evict God and we put ourselves, and we say, you know, I'll make my own decisions. And, and we look at the world around us and we say, you know, why would I be under the authority of God when I can look out and see, you know, Elon Musk doesn't have to ask God what to do. I want to be like Elon Musk. I want to be like other nations where God's not my king. I'm my king. Everybody, are you with me? I don't know if I'm connecting with you. You tracking? And so what we do is we end up just saying, okay, God, you're welcome to be in the room, but I'll take the throne. And we end up ruling and living our lives according to the way I want to do it. There are things that we see in the word that we know are truth, but you're like, eh, I'm just not interested in that. Things we see in the in the will of God, and we go, eh, I know it's true, but it's just not interested in that. So we are a potential candidate for the king, for the person sitting on the throne in our lives. Other potential candidates are people. You know, maybe it's like uh, people who deal with codependency and stuff. You know, it's like I'm going to put my husband on the throne or my wife on the throne or come on, I'm going to put ministry on the throne. We've all been there. 
I'm going to put other people's needs or whatever. And so we end up getting this thing all messed up. And you know, the crazy part is God lets us do it. He lets us do it. He's given us free will. And the reason he gave us free will is because you can't have love without choice. And he wanted us to choose to love him. So he gave us the option. And so many times we make the wrong decision. And he lets us do it though. But you know what ends up happening? It ends up costing us our families. I've sat with couples in counseling when there's obvious issues and, and we've pointed out those issues and, and, and we put those issues in front of one, one spouse or the other and they just go, I'm telling you, I've, I've been in so many of these and it's usually us guys, I'm sorry, it's us guys. The women are like, amen. But I've seen it over and over again. You know, you have this husband who's unloving and he won't talk and he won't communicate and he won't open up and he's mean and he's whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, within 30 minutes of, uh, of talking, it's like, it's pretty obvious, buddy, you're the problem. Again, all the women. And, uh, and then I'll turn to the dude eventually and go, hey, dude, sorry, but uh, what are we going to do here? And he'll go, I don't know, just who I am. And I watch the hope leave that woman's eyes. I watch her spirit deflate and shut down. She goes, I, he goes, I, I, that's who you married. And, and what he's saying is, I know what you're telling me is truth, but I'm the king of this throne and I'm not changing. And it'll cost him his marriage. I've seen it over and over again. And it's not always us men though. Let's talk about you women for a minute. Come on, men. No. I mean, that's pretty dramatic, but I've seen it happen. And some of you may be saying, well, you know, I'm sitting on the, I mean, God's not on the throne of my heart. I am, but you know, my marriage is good. Well, you're right. It may not show up in, in big drastic ways like this, but you know what's something I've seen is that someone who, and it's a believer who understands that God should be the king of their life and sitting on the throne, but instead they've evicted God and they choose to sit on their throne. You know what I've seen it cost them is their children. I've seen families of faith, but then someone along, you know, let's say a father, I don't know why I'm picking on us men. We can take it. Can I hear big amen? And, and you know, they, they just, I know I, I'm going to be the king of my life. And then I watch their children. I've seen, I've watched people who's, who are beautiful, who they're successful. They've got money. They've got it all together from the outside looking in. You would think this family is perfect. And I've watched them lose their children to atheism or becoming agnostic. They lose their faith. They lose their children. And I don't care. Here's, here's, here's Jody's stance. I don't care if the Lafleurs are living in a cardboard box and eating government cheese. We're going to serve Jesus, right? And, and so I would rather lose everything. We're not losing that. But here's what happens is when we evict God and we put ourselves on the throne, sometimes it costs us. It's going to cost us our families. I don't know what it's going to look like in your specific situation, but it'll cost you your families. I said it'll cost your goods. I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm telling you, you get things out of whack. I've seen people who, if I, you know, hearing this message, you're going to lose your goods and they're sitting here going, what are you talking about? My bank account's so full, it's running over. I got money for days. You're, you're saying I'm going to lose all this. I don't know if you're going to lose it, but here's the difference. The money I have, I have it. It doesn't have me, right? 
And so maybe the way it happens in yours is that you can't get all that right and your goods end up being the downfall of your family. Thirdly, though, it'll enslave you. It enslaves us when we become our own God, when we put another person on that throne instead of God. So my point here this morning, all I want to leave you with here this morning, and this is in the way of beginning of the year, laying a foundation. We're talking about you and I being healthy individuals, strong, spiritually healthy individuals so that it can produce the correct fruit in our families and eventually um, eventually affect society. That's where we're going with all this. But my point here this morning, the point, the starting point is this. There's a throne on the inside of you who's sitting on it. My question and my, my hope is this morning that as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit's touching hearts and that there are people in this room going, got some work to do here because I live my life according to how I want to live my life. I'm my own judge. I'm like the rest. I'm like my neighbors. I'm like everybody else in this nation. I'm not in it for this God thing being on the throne. And I tell you something, church, if you make that decision, he's going to let you do it, but it's not going to bring you where you think it's going to bring you. It's going to end up costing you something. So my hope and desire here this morning is that you and I would do a throne check. You and I would really honestly evaluate our life and say, who is sitting on the throne of my heart? So as I was planning this message this week, I had a good time doing it and and then I started thinking, you know, what would be a good way to wind this to wind this down? Like, how do we respond to this message? Obviously, it was extremely powerful, earth-shattering, right? So how do we respond to it? And in that moment, um, I got a little idea, and I think it, it may be from God. Um, I started thinking about this song that meant a lot to me. And I thought, what if we, what if we conclude our time together uh, in this way? And so here's what I want you to do. Um, just stay seated. And uh, you may want to take everything off your lap and kind of position yourself. Thanks. With no distractions. And, um, and we're just going to kind of bow our hearts before the Lord. And we're going to respond... Uh, we're going to respond to God as I, uh, that was pretty seamless, right? Yeah. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to lead us in, in a little time of worship. And here's, here's what I, what I would love to happen is, um, there's probably two different categories of us here this morning. Uh, first of all, there's those of us who, after, um, thinking and listening to the Lord, we understand that that God's not the king in our life and he's not sitting on the throne. And if you find yourself in that situation this morning, um, as we're singing and worshiping together, maybe a good thing for you to do is to evict whoever it is on your throne if it's not God. Just take a time and say, um, you know what? It's time to get him off, him or her off and confirm and reaffirm the fact that it's God sitting on the throne of our life. Maybe even it's a time of repentance. And again, it's the beginning of the year, just kind of saying, okay, Lord, I wanna, I wanna start out this year with you in your proper place and me in my proper place. You're the master, I'm the servant, you're the king. 
So if you fall in that category, that's probably what you ought to be doing while we're singing this song. But um, there's others of us in here today who say, you know, God's already on the throne in my life. Well, this would just be a good opportunity to uh, reaffirm that and just spend a second um, communicating with the Lord. So I just wanna sing this. It's an old song, you'll, you'll remember it, but uh, I just wanna sing this over us. And while we're doing this at any point along the way, if you wanna stand and sing or kneel or come to the altar, maybe, maybe you feel like this is a good time to just come to the altar and worship before the Lord. Uh, so you're free, the room is yours to respond in whatever you, way you see necessary. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. Sing Amazing Love, ready? Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It is my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. What you think? You like it? Let's do that verse again. Ready? I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me?
amazing love I know it's true it is my joy to honor you